You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. I can't remember the exact day I met Josiah Hesse. I was in a scrappy little Christian punk rock band, and we bonded over Christian bands like MXPX and a local hometown hero band called Fillmore. That we idolized because they had made it, and they were touring with bands like Five Iron Frenzy, and they had an album out available in all local Christian bookstores. It was a big deal. We loved God and Christian culture. I'd go to his church now and then to experience the scary charismatic church with their high energy singing, sermons that would go on overtime, prosperity gospel preaching, full on cardio sessions of running around, screaming, falling down and gyrating on the floor with a blanket over the ladies, of course. It was fascinating. It felt dangerous and it felt exciting. Over the years, our circle of friends would meet up. I remember late nights in Clear Lake, Iowa, pouring through his growing DVD collection of Kurosawa films and talking about big ideas like God, art, and the universe. And then of course, like most young adults, life has a way of spitting us out into the world and our stories were disconnected for about a decade. During this time, I'd hear rumor of Josiah and others falling away from God and that they were being seduced by the world and by Satan. Secular music, drug culture, and big city life had corrupted this young and innocent Josiah Hesse. Once I unraveled my own Christian faith and dipped my toe in unbelief, I felt compelled to connect with Josiah once again, and we did. Six years ago, he was my second guest on this new podcast I was starting to process my own faith journey. After all, he was the only atheist that I knew. Josiah Hesse is a gifted writer and journalist living in Denver, Colorado. His way with words are palatable and exciting, no matter the subject. He writes about politics, marijuana, and evangelical culture and theology, and is a regular contributor to The Guardian and Vice. He's also had bylines in Politico, High Times, and The Denver Post, and is the senior editor of the Denver arts and literature magazine, Suspect Press. An Iowa native and leading authority on 90s Christian rock, 
Josiah released his debut novel, Carnality, Dancing on Red Lake, in 2015, a psychological horror about growing up in an isolated farming community fueled by Pentecostal Christianity and methamphetamine. The book was hailed as one of the finest novels to come out of Denver's burgeoning art scene. Josiah's second book, Carnality, Sebastian Phoenix and the Dark Star, which was written in part at Owl Farm in Woody Creek, Colorado, the longtime home of Hunter S. Thompson, is out right now on Suspect Press. I'm Sean DeRager, and welcome to the Armchair Philosopher. Today on the Armchair Philosopher, longtime friend uh, Josiah Hesse makes his uh, his triumphant return to the podcast. Josiah, man, so good to talk to you. It's great to be here. So the last time we talked, this was about uh, I don't know five or six years ago. I had you on. And I was first starting this podcast up and it's funny because I re-listened to our conversation and kind of where I was then, where I am now, the journey in between has been like uh, just (laughs) a crazy thing to think about because at the time I had thought I had gone through uh, my atheism phase. I hadn't. (laughs) It had just (laughs) begun. I'd only just unraveled, uh, you know, the uh, the yarn. A baby atheist. Like... uh... (laughs) Like being a baby Christian. Yeah. Uh, so it was just kind of fun to to, to reflect on that and listen. And um, just just kind of where my journey's taking me now. Um, you know, I'm starting, I, I don't know if you know, I started going to church again. I'm going to a UCC church. And, nice. Uh, that's been like this crazy little piece of healing uh, in my life to kind of at least be in a sacred space with other people who aren't looking and judging and in this kind of crazy journey together and kind of embracing that. So it's been kind mm-hmm. of a, I don't know, the last piece of my puzzle to kind of give me some, some, I don't know, personal healing as far as talking about God in like a, uh, in a non-judgmental way. So, um, so it's just, it's just crazy how this journey has gone. And I was curious with you and, and when we talked, you had kind of gone through your, uh, more, you, I think you say it more like a militant atheism. Uh, and you were kind of in a place where you're just, you know, you're, hey, I'm an atheist it's me and I'm not really looking to bring anyone to my side, but conversations are, are open. Are you still kind of at that place or where, where, where are you at right now as far as, you know, that goes? Well, yeah, I, it's, it's kind of a cliched thing to say that uh, atheism is a religion unto itself, um, mm-hmm. but I, I do think that it can go in that direction with the kind of um, proselytizing and um, anger and cruelty and bullying that I think you see a lot in certain parts of evangelical culture where you have to believe things exactly like I do or I'm not going to talk to you, uh, I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. Um, and I've seen some of that in the what's kind of becoming known as the evangelical movement. Yeah, I was just about to bring that uh, up. There are a lot of people that I really love and respect, but have a kind of more revolutionary approach to these issues, where they. And I don't want to say that this is the wrong way to go. Like again, saying you have to do things my way, uh, or you have to do my approach. But where I'm at is I don't really have a prescription for anyone when it comes to these issues. I'm not saying we need to get rid of this slice of the dogma or reform this kind of church or shut down these churches and embrace these churches over here. I don't have answers for anybody. Um, What I have in 
writing about myself and the journalism I've done about evangelical culture and politics is just talk about my experiences and report on other people's experiences and make that information, those stories available to people who are curious on this subject, whether it's people who've had these experiences themselves and are looking to learn from other people or people who never grew up in any kind of religious environment and just have curiosity about it. I, I don't like the idea of writing something as a, a kind of protest to the world saying, you know, stop doing this or start doing that. You know, one of the things that I admired so much um, when it comes to my um, uh, journalism on uh, evangelical uh, topics is the movie Jesus Camp. Because mm -hmm. um, that seemed to be, um, it's really like a, a bar that I, I always try and reach uh, in my writing because it worked on so many different levels. There were a lot of evangelical Christians that could look at that movie and think, that's us. That's an accurate representation of who we are and what we believe. And then there are, uh, you know, atheists who look at that and are like, well, this is an indictment of uh, uh, evangelical Christianity and how harmful it is. And it's still the same document. It's just it can be viewed from all of these different angles. And when it comes to me writing about my experiences, I really don't have anything to I, I don't want people to come away with this ultra specific um, takeaway mm -hmm. on what story is. I, I like the idea that people have different ideas about what the tragedy was about it or what should be done, you know, whether we should get rid of Christianity altogether, we should get rid of religion altogether, or, you know, we should not have such a fundamentalist view of the Bible and, you know, we shouldn't be homophobic or misogynistic. There's a whole galaxy of different ideas that you could take away, or at least that's the the attempt that I um, that that's what I'm attempting yeah. to do with the with this writing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I always I've grown to the point where I kind of I want I don't want toxicity, like you know, uh, yeah. the the toxic forms of religion or any kind of worldview. If it's toxic, if it is negative. Um, especially the past two years with the Trump administration, going through all that kind of stuff. It's like, I can't have that toxicity <laughs> just yeah. perpetuating in my life anymore. I need to kind of come to my own conclusions, explore conclusions and, but everyone's and, but embrace everyone's journey. And that's what I'm seeing in the evangelical stuff. And even in some other podcasts is they're at a certain place that I was at a few years ago um, with this, anger and frustration and I feel like people need to go through that and and embrace it and and uh and I don't know it's just kind of like stirring the pot of negativity doesn't go anywhere as long as you're kind of cleansing the demons uh from said worldview and hopefully using those to move forward and, and bring other people in like you're not alone all that kind of stuff I see as very helpful um and but but the dangers I see, and I, I, I tried to get something. I, uh, I spoke with Michael Gunger. It'll be on the next podcast. And I tried to get a, uh, a little bit out of him as far as because the liturgist is kind of turning into its own thing. And the ex-evangelical is kind of turning into its own thing. They're kind of becoming mm -hmm. these groups. And I was like, you know, do you worry about like the danger of this becoming its own kind of group? <laughs> you know what I mean? And he kind of yeah, joked around. I'll, I'll, you guys will hear it on the next podcast. But I mean, I, I kind of form this with uh 
what happened in the 90s and we'll we'll talk about it with this kind of youth uh um culture and um and the the youth the t-shirts the music all that whole you know that that christian bubble of all that uh uh kind of counterculture type uh things mm-hmm. and i you know i see people like with exvangelical uh t-shirts <laughs> and message shirts for like atheism and exvangelicals and all this and i'm like where do we kind of draw the line with this you know everyone's going to make some money is like, is is this the new like there's some money to be made uh type movement and that's part of my own cynicism that maybe i need to work out but uh i I think in time, it, it, there's a risk of it becoming that. I don't know of anyone really making much money off of it right now. Right. Uh, I'm certainly not one of them. <laughs> um, but I think there is an undeniable momentum behind it because, you know, my story and your story and so many others that I've encountered, they're very similar. They follow a similar timeline. And there's this spark you get when you read someone else's uh, memoir or blog or listen to the podcast. And you're like, holy shit, that's me. That's mm-hmm. That was my story. Sorry, can I curse on your podcast? Fuck yeah, you can curse on this program. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, that, and that's such a powerful thing. It's, it's, it's more than just like, oh, yeah, I, I listened to that album or I saw that movie when I was a kid. It's like this was my identity for 10, 15 years. And, and also the idea that it was um, the questions you had, the doubts you had, the fears you had, the, the sexual impulses you had while you're in that world. It was a, a silent trauma it was an isolated experience and so when you meet other people that you know share those same things that you never even spoke out loud but you're like i was thinking the same thing i was feeling the same thing the devotion and the hunger you get for more of those stories and to be around people who have that same uh story to tell or maybe have enlightening things to say about that experience in that world it, it creates a sort of devotion that you see with, I don't know, bands like the Smiths where, you know, Smiths fans, they weren't like, you know, taking over the world or anything, but they were devoted. Yeah. They, that was a very powerful energy that Morrissey tapped into. And I think if you did want to exploit it economically, there would be a lot of opportunity for that. Uh, especially right now when, as you say, things are getting so toxic politically and people have, this uh, magnetism toward uh, people who believe exactly the same thing that you do. And then, you know, you're all on Twitter following each other and you're all, you know, saying, mirroring each other's thoughts and, and you exclude anyone with even the slightest variation from those perspectives and you just become more and more splintered into your specific group. Um, yeah, you could monetize the fuck out of that. <laughs> and more power to you if you can, if you, if you can tap that for a while, I guess. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's just very interesting, the parallels. And maybe I'm just seeing this because it's all kind of exploding at once because of the political and religious landscape that's kind of perpetuated over the past few years. More people being more vocal, more books being written, more podcasts happening. Uh, people on t- uh, upper tiers of, you know, uh, the celebrity spectrum changing their opinions and forming podcasts, things like this. And there is a momentum. And I think it's going to I really think it could be lead to a, a healthy conversation and 
um, and everything. So, uh, man, we can talk for hours and hours, you and me. We haven't we haven't talked in a long time. So this could I know <laughs> run the uh, risk of just like uh, uh, just keeping this going. But I want so the reason why I wanted to talk to you because you are getting ready uh, to launch your second book in the Carnality series. And uh, when we last talked, I believe you had a different title for it. You're beginning to kind of, you know, set it up. And the, the first Carnality book hadn't been written, hadn't been written yet, hadn't been published yet. Uh, Carnality Dancing on Red Lake with uh, one of my favorite uh, paintings of all time as the cover. Uh, oh, yeah. The Witch's Which Sabbath is- by uh, Francisco Goya. Um yeah, it was love kind of the it, New York cartoon of its time. Uh, <laughs> that was actually drawn to be a satire of what people believed witches and Satanists were up to. You know, there's the dead babies on a stick and the women <laughs> handing their children over to Satan under the moonlight and Satan's a goat. And um, it's all so ridiculous uh, that I had to put it in there. But it's also very impactful. It's, mm-hmm. it's scary and uh, visible. <laughs> but yeah, I remember when we talked... Um, the title I was working on was Dancing in the Flesh, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought, you know, was such a great um, little, uh, like, iconic evangelical phrase or Pentecostal phrase because you're not supposed to dance in the flesh. You dance in the spirit. And the line between the two was often pretty fuzzy because as I later <laughs> uh, figured out, we were just having fun dancing to loud music. And, you know, I thought it was a spiritual experience at the time. And I guess you could say it was. But I realized you could have that with secular music. And that was kind of one of the lessons that Jacob learns, uh, Jacob being the protagonist in the story, is that line between what you interpret as a supernatural experience in a Pentecostal environment versus, you know, uh, having it a secular experience and having the same sensation. Like I remember when I first heard Green Day uh, after just being into Christian punk rock for so many years and got that same kind of like, jitter the electric buzz in my stomach uh i was like whoa that's not the holy spirit that's just <laughs> billy joe armstrong playing a couple of punk chords you know it sounds naive but i i'd never heard secular punk rock music at that yeah. time but I, I i digress uh yeah when we spoke uh the the books were still very much in an early development phase yeah so i wanted to st- start off from there and um what's what's great about the book is you do take your knowledge of kind of the of the Christian culture, Christian music, uh, and even uh, the end time uh, prophecies and, and all that kind of stuff. I want to ah, there's so much so many different directions I want to go, but I do want to set up where you and I did live, where, where we grew up because we were in small town. I never, I guess, I, when I, when I was ten, I moved there, so we were small town Iowa. Um, we touched on this a little bit last time we spoke, you were going to a church called Agape, Agape family, Christian <laughs> church fellowship, whatever, as my parents called the crazy church. We, you know, that was like, you know, we were, we went, we're going to this evangelical free church. I was very stoic, not stoic, but just very contemporary and kind of, you don't want to get, you don't want to get too moved. You don't want to get too crazy. And you guys were part of this insane crazy church that was just scary and that 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 was all of the devil (laughs) it's just so funny yeah you're not the only person to describe agape that way yeah yeah so uh there's after your money so um pastor drives a nice car he must be up to some shady shit uh and you and i shared a connection with uh, the band fillmore and uh at Mm -hmm. the time fillmore had kind of there's okay so fillmore 
pop punk band, homegrown pop punk band. They were in my hometown. I went to high school with the guys. Uh, they went to, to Agape and they kind of, in their own way, kind of exploded a little bit in, they had their little taste of success. They had got signed to a label and they'd gone off, you know, they'd gone off on tour and they were spreading the <laughs> message of Jesus, you know, <laughs> through their yeah. tour. And well, we got- all kind of, we all kind of looked up to them in, in a <laughs> way. And, uh, uh, they would come back through and it was, uh, it was a big deal. And, just seeing their trajectory because they were flashing the pan. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, Christian, the, the overall like Christian music scene, they were kind of in and then out. And I, I lived in Tulsa with them for a while. Not with them, but well, Brett was my roommate. The drummer was my roommate for a while. And uh, seeing them kind of butt heads against the Christian music element and wanting to go a different direction, kind of being forced. And no, we want you. We want an album like last time. We want you. You need to, you know, they're kind of moving away from the evangelical aspects of it. So I want to. So what what was it about our area um, that we saw? Because I had an interesting conversation with my father in law over the weekend because he's asking me why I'm. They're asking me why I'm so. Uh, why am I an, uh, an ally of LGBTQ community and things like that? They're well. The Bible says this, and it's on the same level of as a pedophilia, and and, I, and we're just like we. I'm so I'm trying to have this conversation with them. And they haven't seen what we've seen in the church circles that we've been in because we were mm-hmm. raised, you know, we, we had the end times stuff. Uh, um, we had the the kind of the fire and brimstone. We've been through that kind of preaching. So I was wondering if you can set up a little bit um, how what the kinds of preaching that you heard and and, and how that developed kind of this, uh, um, I don't know, uh, this this toxic uh, and uh, and even um, traumatic experience, uh, for you moving on. And then we can, well, yeah, where to begin with that? I mean, there's so many layers, uh, when it comes to that world. And these are things that I only discovered once I left that world, that they were unusual, that there were other approaches to Christianity. Uh, it was quite traumatic for me to learn that there are actually 40,000 different types of Christianity. Uh, when I became an adult and left that world, but yeah, um, it was, Uh, prosperity gospel it was anti-gay it was purity culture which is you know promise rings and um a lot of uh, shaming for sexual impulses or certainly sexual acts of any kind uh women got a little worse uh (laughs) than the men did but you know Mm -hmm. i was growing up uh with uh, some bisexual urges and experiences that because the the experiences themselves, I think I, I learned later on, were quite natural and normal. But at the time, I thought, you know, I was the the absolute worst deviant imaginable, and that I would suffer an eternity in hell for those uh, for that behavior. And that was very much the the central message of that culture that we grew up in, or that that I got with um, agape. We put on passion plays and particularly this very popular one called heaven's gates hell's flames that was recreated in churches all over the u.s um kind of looking at the uh trajectory of these different families after they die and the christian family goes to heaven and the uh secular family goes to hell and i would participate in these from a very young age uh um those and hell houses uh really scaring the shit out of people about their moral behavior in regards to their eternal uh, 
state. You know, they will be eternally tortured. Uh, and this is something that was in my mind every, almost every minute of every day from the age of, I don't know, four years old on. And it guided, it dictated all of my thoughts and behavior, you know, because what is more urgent than eternal torture, you know, right. what, what is, uh, you know, what takes priority over that uh, in terms of your behavior. And so with that, it was um, very easy to manipulate people, uh, particularly their pocketbooks, when you have them, uh, you have um, that hanging over them, eternal torture. But then there's this one aspect of it that I always focus on that was kind of glorious, and that was the Pentecostal church service experience, the thing that, you know, your family and a lot of others would think of as, you know, crazy, um, because it really was. I mean, if you didn't know anything about it, you could look at that and, a, and an, a, the freakiest pagan orgy, right. uh, it wouldn't look all that different, except I guess one group has their clothes on. Um, <laughs> exactly. There's everyone screaming this gibberish uh, and um, shaking and jumping up and down, and the music's really loud and really fast, and you know, you're running around, and this really like rewired my brain for a visceral, euphoric uh, cardio experience mm -hmm. um, from a young age that I still have with me as in my secular life. Uh, you know, I love loud music, I love dancing, I love uh, long distance running. Um, there are all these things that I think I got from that Pentecostal experience. But that in and of itself will also break you down and open you up in a way that makes it very easy to inject all kinds of uh, theology and dogma into you because you just, you know, ran around and cried and, you know, screamed and, you know, the, the experience of the pastor, like touching you on the head in the name of Jesus and you fall to the ground and, you know, uh, you have a vision in your head like I did. I mean, I was like 12 and had quite a, uh, active imagination. So yeah, you're right. I had visions. Um, and that whole world I didn't realize was so unusual until, my teens and twenties when other people would be very fascinated by it. And then, and then I was beginning to realize how traumatic a lot of it was. And to this day, there is so much about that world that is still with me mm -hmm. and I'm still getting therapy to eradicate. Yeah. No, my, my wife always wants, she's like, why do you care so much about that world? Why do you, why are you so focused on, you know, this stuff? Why do you need to talk about it? And I'm like, I don't know. It's all just hardwired in there that I'm just, I'm still, even though I'm not very much not a part of that, I kind of, I don't, anything resembling that, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to that church. Yeah, I don't think, <laughs> I don't know if we're going <laughs> to hang out. For a while though, I, as I was going through my deconstruction, I did kind of crave it again to kind of, kind of feed that, um, especially the music part of it. But yeah, it's, it, it, it kind of gets hardwired and you just kind of, I don't know, just the, the fascination aspect of it is is very true that people like us uh, who went through that just can't shake it, you know, and yeah. uh, a lot of, you know, I haven't, I always say like I need, I probably do need to go to therapy to shake some of the shit out of my system. Uh, that will prob probably happen soon. Um, but my area is a very kind of a Bible belty area in Southern California. So trying to find the right therapist that's not connected to like a, <laughs> like a Christian yeah. therapist, something like that. Um, I had a therapist very... to me after we'd had like a dozen or so sessions. Um, 
you know, admit to me that she believed in supernatural warfare. <laughs> the idea that there are angels and demons around us all yeah. the time. And I'm like, I'm here to have you convince me that, that I don't need to be afraid <laughs> of Satan speaking in my head. Yes. You know, I, I can't have you like telling me that you, you think it's a reasonable uh, <laughs> mindset to have. <laughs> All right, so to taking all these experiences, you kind of channeled it into this book series. And what's great is when I read uh, uh, Christopher Stroop's uh, interview with you, you do mention that you do have this all lined out to to an end. So you have book two. Uh, you, uh, you you promise there's not going to be any lost uh, ending. <laughs> type yeah. To, your, <laughs> to the story, but um, gonna be what the polar bear was all about. <laughs> Uh, so, so what was the impetus to, to writing the book? Um, and if you can just take us through, uh, I want people to pick these books up and, and start reading them. So I don't, I want to be very careful, especially if we start talking about the second book, cause I want to make sure we don't spoil anything, mm-hmm. any, any threads from the first book, but I want people to be, to basically pick up your goddamn books and read them is what I want people to do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so... in the ashes of the flower power scene that swept California in the late 1960s, the Jesus freaks dressed, spoke, and lived just like the other hippies, but had traded in the Timothy Leary message of peace through acid for the Billy Graham rhetoric of salvation through Jesus Christ, seasoned with a bit of doomsday prophecies and conspiracy theory paranoia. This soon swept the nation, creating an industry of Christian rock bands that saw the conversion of Bob Dylan in the book of Daniel and in the book, in the book of Revelation, which just might apply to these times here. And made this end times prophecy into the best-selling non-fiction book of the decade, as well as a movie starring Orson Welles. Is our planet truly in mortal peril? Everywhere Christian hippies were preparing for the great battle of Armageddon, where the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the Antichrist, and the decision of whether or not to receive the mark of the beast would determine their eternal fate in the afterlife. By the time I was born into this apocalyptic nightmare, my mother had sunk into a deep depression, and my father's schizophrenia had become fused with the mad rhetoric of these doomsday prophets. In 1982, he moved our family to an isolated farm in rural Iowa, where we would wait out the wars, famine, and pestilence of the coming tribulation. It was here, raised in the shadow of my father's madness, that I would learn to fear the outside world, to survive the collapse of society, and desperately pray to be spared from the eternal flames of hell. It was here that my journey began. What sparked the, the, this story and, um, and this the, the uh, an, is antagonist? Am I using the correct language here? Well, there's the protagonist, protagonist. which is the, antagonist. The, uh, the guy we're following. Uh, I guess he's kind of the hero of the story. Okay. But, like when I was forward. saying earlier about how a lot of our stories are so similar, there's a kind of uh, trajectory that a lot of us go on with some variations in there. But like, I think a lot of people peak at like 17 if you're raised in this world right. uh, with your fundamentalist uh, worldview. And then from there, it's kind of, you know, you read some books and maybe you're an intellectual Christian and, you know, some people go towards atheism and militant atheism. And, uh, 
you know, I wanted to tell that story from beginning to end um, and, and kind of inject my own autobiographical uh, narrative in there within the, the world of, uh, you know, kind of Stephen King narrative that's mm -hmm. uh, real punchy and engaging, but also quite terrifying uh, as my childhood certainly was. But for the first book, in order to tell the childhood of Jacob, I wanted to tell his parents' story in the Jesus movement in the 1970s. You know, I think Bob Dylan got caught up in. It was, it was a really big deal. And the disillusionment that came with that in the 80s when the world didn't end. Mm -hmm. You know, they were all so apocalyptic. And so I wanted to tell the story of a child who grows up with very broken parents uh, who had these intense beliefs about the end of the world and it doesn't come true. And there's a kind of schizophrenia. They're isolated on an Iowa farm. And what's it like to be a child in that worldview? And there were a lot of people that I pulled from. Uh, some of them you probably know from Iowa. Uh, I knew a lot of people that grew up on farms and would have you know, their own little church on their farm and it, they could get into their own end times rhetoric and survivalist stuff, you know, packing yeah. uh, food and guns and um and he this child doesn't have any other outside influence other than his kind of schizophrenic survivalist father and that's the first book and in the second book uh he gets into the evangelical world of um fame and money uh and at the same time is discovering his own queer sexuality he's sort of blossoming as uh, as a human you know, and he has these, uh, these uh, gay impulses. At the same time, his career is taking off as an anti-gay evangelical teen pop star. Uh, so it's really about what the inner experience is of your sexuality blossoming when that contradicts with your career uh, as a, you know, religious prophet. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the second book is uh, Carnality, uh, Sebastian Phoenix and the Dark Star. And mm -hmm. I love the way these, how you're titling these. Uh, where did, I wanted to talk first about the, the main title, Carnality. And uh, I, I looked it up. I don't have the definition with me uh, here. But uh, what sparked that title um, for this book? Because it, uh, it is a very, it's a very sexy title for sure. And it's mm -hmm. something that you're like, what is that? But once I start, you know, reading about, I'm pulling up the definition right now. Uh, the the definition is like, oh, okay, I I, I kind of did. Um, but it 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 does definite, you know, pertaining to well, comes from carnal, of course, pertaining to or characterized by the flesh or the body, its passions and appetites, um, carnal pleasures, uh, not spiritual, and, and and all that kind of stuff. So. What what kind of made you decide? All right, Carnell, that that's it. Was that something that kind of just clicked with you when you saw that word? What what brought the title on? on? Yeah, I mean, phonetically, it's a it's a very catchy word. But yeah. uh, in terms of the meaning behind it, I I'm so attracted to the the space between our animal evolutionary impulses and the rhetoric we get from society or the church, uh, pop culture, and that those two can often be in conflict and that conflict happens within your head um you know and in terms of uh, growing up evangelical it's a uh, something that you know is remains in your head and you don't share that with anyone and so when i was growing up and uh, same with jacob the the lead character in in these stories there's the world that 
he inhabits and the morality of that world, the standards that everyone sets for him, um, it's, it's, a, it's presented as a very clear, uh, monolithic, um, easy to understand, easy to follow uh, set of rules. And then there's this other world inside his head and inside his body, and it's often at war with what he's taught. And there's so much at stake. There's, like I said, eternal torture is at stake. And also the shame of um, being around other people that seemingly have such an easy time Mm -hmm. following these rules and this rhetoric and understanding it. You know, it's when you're in that world, everything is presented as so clear and everyone else is like, yeah, I get it. And I'm doing that. And with Jacob and with myself inside your own head, you have these carnal impulses. Uh, You are ultimately an animal that's, in, in my opinion, uh, shaped by evolutionary uh, mechanisms. You know, uh, fat and salt and sugar, you know, I, we have these things hardwired in our brains to pursue those because they were very rare. And when it comes to sex and gender, you know, procreation, dominance, things that aren't always healthy, um, but, you know, they, they are real. Mm-hmm. And I it's important to acknowledge the reality of that. And also when you don't acknowledge that reality, when you suppress that, when you deny it to yourself, when you fill yourself full of shame because of those carnal impulses, that leads to very dangerous behavior, uh, either uh, dangerous towards other people around you or dangerous towards yourself. And and that's a theme that definitely comes home in uh, the second carnality book. There's a, a, a small collection of characters that are repressing their uh, sexual impulses. There are things that, you know, in the case of one character who's uh, a man that's attracted to an underage boy, I don't think they are healthy impulses. I don't think it's anything that should be embraced, mm-hmm. but I do think it's something that should be talked about. And there should be some kind of uh, space for someone to get therapy uh, for those issues because simply smothering them is, uh, is very dangerous, in my opinion. In the 90s, evangelical culture was loaded with contradictions. Sexual lust was said to come from Satan, yet the Christian rock industry pulsed with eroticism. Worldliness was said to be an abomination, yet Christian alternatives to secular bands were an essential tool for spreading the gospel. Millions of devil worshippers were said to be raping children and animals throughout the country. Point to satanic evidence in the drug-related murder crimes were motivated by occult beliefs. Yes. But the few self-proclaimed Satanists were actually just satirical atheists pretending to worship the villain of the Bible. The the devil has always been the church's best friend because he's kept him in business. They were the original trolls of Christianity. There's nothing cool about a fool on drugs. Drug use (sighs) and gay sex were said to be the tickets to hell. So we don't have to debate about what we should think about homosexual activity. It's written in the Bible. But when I became a teenage Christian pop star, I quickly discovered that these forbidden fruits were the cornerstones of many evangelical diets. Reverend Ted Haggard said in an interview today, I called him to buy some meth, but I threw it away. And did you ever have sex with him? I went there for a massage. I have sinned against you, my Lord. 
Looking back years later, as I live alone in an abandoned island hotel, I can see that even as a teenage boy who'd built a career as an anti-gay preacher, who believed that gay sex would lead to an eternity of torment in hell, I was willing to risk it all for the privilege of touching Sebastian Phoenix. Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. I definitely, through my my own path and, and reading and, and seeing the paths of others, um, suppression never really ends well when you're suppressing urges. And in our in our modern society, we you, is it interesting you bring up the the evolutionary aspect because early man had to act on impulses because that was a way to stay alive, uh, a way to procreate, a way to blow off steam, um, a way to have a release. And they those things weren't hard to come by. So when they some, an opportunity would arise, you, you take it. Uh, in modern society, we have everything at our fingertips so we can go overboard on any impulse that we have. And uh, if you... It's easy to do just when you're a normal, healthy person, just kind of pursuing the impulses. But if you suppress those impulses, uh, then all of a sudden you go nuts, and you see that with, you know, the whole cliche of uh, you know the Catholic schoolgirl cliche of you know um, any other any other cliche as far as that goes. You see that uh, uh, the college someone goes off to college, you know, and, it, and you yeah. always see the most repressed person in high school. All of a sudden, is just this crazy, raging alcoholic party guy. Uh, I, yeah, I, I saw that. Always the worst. <laughs> yes. So, so I mean, that's a very real thing that happens, and 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 um, and and therapy is looked down on by by our culture, you know, and especially by the, the Christian, you know, Christian more fundamentalist culture, you, you go to your pastor, you talk to somebody and they always just tell you to repress it. You know, there's not this healthy dialogue of push and pull of struggle of, of airing these, all this out. And, uh, and I, I feel like we're starting to get there a little more openly, but, um, but I like the fact that you bring up the, you know, attraction to the wrong thing, attraction to, to young boys. Um, we're told to just it's 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 evil. Put those people in jail. Um, and that's it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's it's illegal, but it's not you, working. Exactly. They, for some, I mean, just recently with the whole this, we always has always have known the Catholic Church has had a problem. Um and they're they're the most notorious, as we've seen recently with the Pennsylvania. It was Pennsylvania, or is it Philadelphia? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Um, and but we've seen that with other other churches, and and you know things being brushed under the rug. I've seen it, I've heard about it, you know, locally of local churches sweeping abuse under the rug. So something's broken, something's wrong, and suppression, I think, uh, in most cases, is not doesn't seem to be working and i and i i'm hoping that through conversations like this through books through through uh, social media there can be uh discussion and healing as opposed to shaming and locking away exactly yeah and that's what i'm hoping to do with these books and uh i think the best parts of the ex-evangelical movement are doing that as well just sharing those stories that you have i mean not that we have stories of, you know, wanting to be pedophiles, uh, right. but we do have 
uh, stories of that of, of, of repressing impulses and repressing thoughts, and we see how harmful that has been to ourselves and to other people. And it's it's the same dynamic for something that is uh, otherwise unhealthy, you know, um, any kind of addiction or harmful mm-hmm. behavior. Repressing it is not helpful. Yeah, and we're not and and we're not saying at repression and then uh, like this the the whole discussion and therapy through of someone who can actually help through the conversation. I think is what should be pursued. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've and I'm and I'm seeing that narrative, you know, more and more. And 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 uh, and, and I think that's great that people are welcoming that in. Uh, I guess popular discussion you know um because i don't know i was just told to you know deal with it you know pray about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> right and then it's in a room and pray where you're not really encouraged to even admit these things yeah. to friends your parents yourself it's it's shameful it's horrible and even when those thoughts come up you just you know, try and crush them or you, or you believe that it's satan talking <laughs> to you in your head the supernatural warfare thing right. which is just absolutely terrifying right so uh, let's let me see where to go with this because we are running out of time because you and I can just chat up a storm about all this stuff. But mm-hmm. um, so so when the book is available through Suspect Press, both books are. And how? Yes. So what's your timeline as far as these other books? I know you have it all. You have the whole. Uh, I've written them all. You've you've written them all. Yeah, uh, they're not ready to go. Uh, I need to write new drafts of them, but the story is all there, uh, which is nice when I'm, you know, writing these new drafts. I can do that with that in mind and not really, you know, feel like I'm just wandering into the darkness. Like I think the writers of Lost certainly did, uh, (laughs) you know, not really knowing how they're going to explain the black smoke, you know, or... Uh, it's been a long time. I don't even remember what that organization was. Dharma. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I, I never even finished the the, <laughs> the show no, because I. I was so into it, and then the last five episodes, I'm like, I'm not going to finish this because you guys don't know what you're doing. I'm not going to reward you with my eyes. Exactly. Well, no, that's 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 great, and I'm I know that. As far as creating a novel and written form, it's a lot. It's a lot more novelists um, have take will take that route because it's easier to do. Because you're always writing, you don't. Um, it doesn't just, you know, if you're creative, your brain is always going that direction. And if you have a plan, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna put that down. Um, unless the case with like a like a movie or a film or TV show where they go, oh shit, this first one made money. What do we do now? You know, right, um, right. So yeah, so, I've, I've had a plan for this from the beginning. Yeah, uh, beginning to end. So has Suspect Press? Are they um, as far as releasing books? Is there a plan as far as like every year to a couple of years? Because what's not the- with Carnality, but I I am working with my business partner Amanda Ek, who's also a former evangelical from Iowa, who's writing a book about her experiences with purity culture. Mm. Uh, which I'm very excited uh, to work on her, uh, work on with her, but also um, to read because the perspective of a woman growing up in purity culture, I think, is much different than it was um, yeah. for myself as a man. 
Uh, and it's something I'm hearing a lot about from women. And in terms of that sexual dynamic that you get in churches uh, with young people and leadership, um, I I had some uh, uh, dark stories to tell that are in carnality too with me as a, as a man with older men. But I think with women, it's uh, a whole other ball game. And it's, it's yeah. way more um, intense and consistent uh, every day. Um, and so... I, I'm really excited to uh, work on that story with her. Very cool. And uh, so I mean, you're doing a lot of writing as, as well. You've wrote for The Guardian. Um, I, I can't even keep track anymore, man. I always like find like <laughs> articles popping up everywhere and uh, I run to them to read them as, as quickly as possible because your way with words, especially even in like an article sense or even in like a news or journalistic sense, uh, you have a lot more going on creatively in your thought process than the straight journalist. You, you really can make, uh, uh, just like my wife can sell, she can sell like, a, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm looking around like my room, like the most boring thing known to man. She can sell like a glass set of glassware to like anybody. She just has that way with sales and, and communication. I feel like you have that <laughs> way with words in, in your writing. Um, and so it's most journalists didn't grow up uh, as evangelicals <laughs> in the Midwest, you know, real poor, rural, working class, you know, so I had that going for me. What I thought was a deficit in becoming a writer actually turned out to be quite an advantage. <laughs> well, it's awesome, man. I, 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 I love your writing. And, uh, you know, these I'm so excited to see your name like a novel by Josiah Hesse is just like, pfft. You know, it's just awesome to see to see that happen. And um, oh, we, we need to talk about the release, the release party, the suspect press release party for the second Carnality book. Uh, holy shit, man. That was like an epic, uh, an epic evening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was in the town. Talk a little bit about it, man. It was this legendary bookstore in Denver that's been around for decades and, and it's built into an old theater. Uh, and so we uh, me friends uh gave readings and we had this piece kind of like goth uh marching band um with like dragons and costumes and uh it, it was enormous there's a, a video you can see on the suspect press youtube page of that uh, and we all got dressed up into costumes. Like uh, I had goat legs with uh, like some body paint and uh, I was going for a kind of satanic Ziggy Stardust <laughs> look. Uh, and yeah, we wanted to do something theatrical and big because most literature readings are pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Itchy. O man, that was the, that was that percussion uh, group that showed yeah. up and I've heard a lot about them. I've, I've always seen videos and uh, I do another podcast called the Screamcast and we every I think every year at this movie festival my my co-host they always end up showing up somewhere <laughs> at Fantastic yeah, Fest. They're amazing. So, oh man, uh yeah, so I'll put all these links into into the show notes and everything and uh watch yeah, watch that video everybody. It's uh it's great. I mean, I'm going to be judging any book reading I go to based off of that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that event. So it's going to be a hard sell from here on out, I think. <laughs> nice. Well, hopefully we can top it with the next one. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, uh, Josiah, man, thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. Uh, everyone, uh, 
Suspect is it suspectpress.com. I want to send everyone to yes. the publisher, suspectpress.com. Check it out. Uh, grab the book directly from them. We both books are available. And I, I think we're going to be talking again soon, man. I'm preparing a, uh, a series on cannabis and you're one of my experts I have lined up. So we'll be talking again soon. All right. Well, I'll later. start preparing for that by consuming. <laughs> okay. I'd like to thank today's guest, Josiah Hesse for sitting down and talking with me once again. I feel like we, uh, we kind of rambled back and forth and there's so much more that I wanted to jump into, especially, uh, him writing in, uh, in the, the, this cabin that Hunter S. Thompson wrote in, uh, missed opportunity. It'll, <laughs> it will happen next time. I'm sure he'll be on, uh, again. If you want to learn more about Josiah's work, go to josiahhesse.com. Link will be in the show notes. You can find out all the information about him there, stories, his contact information, and information on uh, his books in the Carnality series. You can also go to suspectpress.com and uh, learn more about them and what they're doing and grab the books there. If you have a story or perspective you'd like to share, uh, the invitation is always open. You can drop a text or you can leave a voicemail via our hotline, 951-723-5586. Again, 951-723-5586. Whatever it is you'd like to share, questions you have, comments about past shows, anything like that, I would love to hear from you. Or you can follow me on Twitter, drop me a line there, at the AXPX or head to theaxpx.com and drop me a line via email through there. If you'd like to dive in deeper and become a patron saint, it's only a dollar a month, check out our Patreon page for further insights into the episodes and a place for open discussion about each one of these episodes. You'll find that link in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash theaxpx. Music on today's episode by Slow Dancing Society. Candle Park Stars, Fillmore, and Five Iron Frenzy. As always, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Next week, we are talking to Michael Gunger. So come back around for that. I hope all of you have a fantastic week. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>